I am really, really, really happy to be sat here with someone who I've seen online a lot. I've seen her videos for a really long time. I've actually dressed deliberately for her, which I've not revealed yet. I'm revealing that right now. This is Andrea Cheong. Writer, influencer, and founder of the Mindful Monday Method, Andrea is famous for her videos where she steps into stores and shows you the reality of the quality of their products. If your budget is £30, what is the best quality fashion item that you can get in mainstream fashion right now? From high end to high street, Andrea's videos on her approach to fashion and sustainable buying have won her over 120,000 followers on Instagram and 230,000 followers on TikTok. Welcome to Off Platform, the podcast where we find out how content creators create and why. I'm Sophia Smith-Gaylor. I'm a journalist, author and creator myself. And this episode was made possible with my fellowship at Brown University's Information Futures Lab. I've been following you uh, since your first takedowns of Zara. I know that's not the only content that you make, but that's how I found you. Um, I know these are Zara. I know this is Zara. There's a high chance this is Zara. It's It's got this like vice-like grip on me um, <laughs> that I haven't been able to like let go of in, in my sort of fashion diet that I have. Um, but I have seeing your videos educated me way more I think I was developing this appetite for sustainable fashion a bit more anyway um, and I know for so many people seeing your content has been part of their journeys as well so thank you for coming to Off Platform um, I'd love to hear just at the very beginning can you explain to listeners and viewers uh, what it is you do because I know it's not just one thing that you do Absolutely. So um, I'm the founder of the Mindful Monday method. And that's pretty much what you see when you watch my TikToks or Instagram reels. It is part of what I do, which is teach people how to shop. And I am also recently an author. My book's coming out in August. It's called Why Don't I Have Anything to Wear? And it's also based on the five step method to shopping better for the planet and your mental health. Um, I also am a contributing editor for Who, What, Where? Uh, and that's a really great gig because they don't edit a single thing that I write. Yeah, so I can uh, say don't shop here, don't shop there if I really want to, which I don't. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm up to recently. Do you want to explain your finger? Because you raised just now before we went on air that you were like... This has to remain above my heart. <laughs> yeah, we should contextualise it. And um, what happened? I was making a salad and then I have I got new knives. I thoroughly recommend these knives. They're aesthetic and sharp. Clean cut straight through, like cut through straight the nail. Straight through your finger. Yeah, like I would say it took about, it went that deep in. Um, and you know in that moment when you see a knife lodged in your body, well, not very relatable, hopefully. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I went into like crisis management mode. Wait, did a bit of your finger come off? No, thank God. Uh. It literally, it was like half of it, lodged into half of it, yeah. And uh, it nearly passed out, called 111. And I was, they were like, oh, we're going to call you back. I was like, what if I faint in the meantime? And they're like, then call 999. <laughs> and I just started laughing. Even though I was on the floor about to pass out, I just started laughing. I was like, I'll be fainted. I'll, I'll be and unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, after I realized I wasn't going to faint, just carried on making my salad and then took myself to A&E. Okay. I'm thrilled we contextualize that. Yeah. Are you feeling better? Yeah. <laughs> Are you 
pain Are management you high on painkillers right now? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so let's let's get back. Right, let's get back, back to, to content. Topic, yeah. I would love to find out. I mean, you just explained loads of different things that you do. Yeah, sorry. Um, and I imagine, I imagine you were into sustainable fashion and that space before you created content, or am I wrong? So it's actually interesting. I started as your typical fashion influencer, and in a nutshell, I really did not like what it did to me. In the sense that I thought it brought out a really bad side to me. Mm. Um, I think it was really bad for my mental health. I don't think I necessarily have the personality suited for something like that. And so in 2019, I basically had this full on like, like I don't use this uh, term lightly at all. I really don't, but full on mental breakdown. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place in your life where you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I hate you. Like, I actually hate you. And I realized I really needed to change something. And so I first wanted to address the one thing that we spend most of our lives doing, which is our work. And I had this huge cognitive dissonance because I was like, I'm not working with fast fashion brands, but I keep showing newness. I keep like buying stuff so I can like show newness and I don't even want to be doing this. And, you know, I grew up kind of understanding what quality fashion was. So I was like, what am I doing? It just doesn't feel right. So actually it didn't begin to be about sustainability. It began about um, quality fashion. And so that's what the reviews were centered on, you know, like analyzing the finishing, like how zips are done, like the hems of clothing, uh, how simple a pattern is. And then I realized as I was doing these reviews, how many brands were claiming to be sustainable. And I was like, something's not matching up here. So one of the things that I preach the most, and I believe like the Mindful Monday method was the first ever to call it was that quality is the most underrated aspect of sustainable fashion because of planned obsolescence and so that's really the crux of the whole method um, and I think there are so many elements to sustain sustainable fashion but what I want to show is if you buy something that is able to last you will not need to replace it and it's really simple because you know everyone's promoting buy less buy less buy less great but how and it's to understand what quality fashion looks like. And you can buy less if you're buying high quality stuff that lasts longer. Yeah, yeah. And that exists at every price point because I think the next thought is, wait, I can't, I can't afford quality fashion. But one thing you'll realize is that expensive clothing has nothing to do with how it was made. The markups are completely arbitrary. So a high price tag actually does not equate to a better quality product. I've got a question about sort of sustainability for fashion influencers. I am aware that when you're in this business, you will be offered and sent stuff all the time. Um, maybe it's gifted or maybe it is, we'll pay you to show this in your, in your Instagram stories or, mm. or your reels or whatever. Um, I know a lot of the brands that do that may not have uh, sustainability as part of their mindset at all. Mm. Do you think that a lot of influencers is, are sort of taken in by some of the things that they get sent the minute they build a bit of a following. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's similar to when you shop online and something arrives at your doorstep, you get like that dopamine hit. And I definitely think it's the same thing for influencers um, and they almost get addicted to the gifting, which is a perk of the job. And I think it's also important to highlight that journalists get this too, editors get this too, except it's perhaps not as visibly, um, it's not as visible in or personally associated with that individual whereas influencers it's very clear cut 
you know, that this is gifted and you're wearing it, as opposed to an editor receiving something and then they say thank you by doing a digital feature, like a roundup of like the best spring dresses and it happens, the brand just happens to feature there. So it's not like exclusive to influencers, but definitely um, I think it's a very addictive thing for them. Can you please explain what the Mindful Monday method is? Sure, so it's five steps. Um, and the first one is your wardrobe audit. And this is different to how stylists recommend you do a wardrobe audit because I have zero stake in how you want to dress. If you want to exclusively wear um, tracksuit bottoms, go for it. You know, <laughs> I, thank I, you. I literally have <laughs> nothing to say about it. I really don't. I've mind. been waiting for someone to say that to me. <laughs> you want now? I'm free. <laughs> if you want to exclusively wear like unicorn onesies too, just go for it. I literally have. I don't judge. I don't care. Um, so what I want people to understand with the wardrobe audit, which is done seasonally is to analyze what you don't want to keep. And I think this is so essential because you'll start to see brands cropping up quite a lot. And you'll start to see certain silhouettes or materials. And this is really fascinating when I actually do it with individuals. And so I actually went to this influencer's house and she had already started on her wardrobe audit and I was taking a look at the stuff she didn't want. And I was seeing loads of organic cotton. And I thought, oh, that's kind of odd because my method always prioritizes natural fibers, which we'll get onto later. And I realized that the organic cotton she was trying to get rid of was actually really poor quality. It was really crusty, really papery. Um, there was no good hand feel. It was almost translucent. And I realized then that there's such a difference um, for people and what they want and what they like. And the Mindful Monday method is supposed to adapt to your lifestyle. So I wasn't at all bothered by the fact she was trying to, you know, get, get rid of this organic cotton. In the very least, someone would love to pick it up because it's considered like a like a desirable fiber if you will um and in the very very least it can biodegrade but I thought that was a really interesting thing and it'll be different for everybody after I would say about two years of myself doing this wardrobe audit I actually have very little to give away now um most of the things that I need to address is probably alterations or repairs so with the order of audit, you have four piles, one for recycling, which you will then realize very quickly not everything can be recycled. And it's a really important exercise to do because you need to visualize what percentage of your wardrobe actually might end up in the landfill. Um, secondly, things to, to donate. And um, thirdly, things that you need to repair or alter. And then your fourth pile is stuff that you obviously want. Then the second step is budget. And this one I can rush through quite quickly. It basically is interrogating why you spend the way that you do. Um, and my book that's coming out, it has a lot of like self-reflection exercises and journaling exercises to really ask you almost how old do you feel when you are stressed about money? And I think it's one of those revealing things where you're like, ah, when I shop too much or when I buy something and I know I can't afford it, I'm kind of trying to soothe that 12 year old girl or 15 year old girl, or even 21 year old girl straight out of uni who's like, oh my God, I don't have a student loan anymore and I don't have a job. Um, so the second step is a lot more psychological and it's not something that I touch on with social media too much because I think it's one of those things that have a lot of nuances, but the book will definitely touch on that. Uh, the third one is your shopping goals. So when it comes to sustainability, Actually, I have to ask you. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Do you know what your shopping goal is or what your fashion goal is when you shop? Uh, it's changed. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to wear cool stuff. Mm. Stuff that I thought I looked good in. 
um, and looked stylish. That's what it used to be. Then I became a working professional uh, and things changed. So like what you see right now <clears throat> is very, I bought it very much thinking I need items that can perform several different professional roles for me. So um, everything you're seeing can be worn on air. If I had to go um, do like a old school sort of TV hit, I can wear what I'm wearing. Um, if I had to do that in the day and then go to drinks in the evening, this is, again is an outfit that can, can transition morning to night. So it's kind of like clothes that suit my lifestyle. Um, and at home, I work from home a lot. I try and buy, again, clothes that simultaneously I can work in all day and that I can go to the gym in as well. So I don't have to get changed between the two. And I never used to think like this about clothes. I used to just think, I'll buy whatever I look good in. Mm. Um, and now they all have to perform. So they will all have to sort of perform something for me. I think that's great. I don't know what that reveals to you. No, that's amazing. That's so good. Like basically clothes are here to serve us, but why is it so often we feel like we're serving our clothes? Mm. You know, like why are we giving so much money to fashion that doesn't serve us? So I think that's actually fantastic. That's great. Yeah, and I've always, um, so I grew up by virtue of my parents and who their, their cultural icons are. I grew up with my cultural icons basically being glamorous 50s Italian actresses. I love it. Um, yeah, and because like we're, we're a family of like hourglass women and it wasn't growing up, I appreciate now there are loads of role models who look like that. Growing up, I was very much in the kind of Paris Hilton, mm -hmm. um, does my bum look big, big yep. in this, uh, school, lo low rise jeans kind of thing. And grew up thinking that the look is not what works for me. I have to develop my own look for my own figure because it doesn't fit what I'm seeing like in the magazines I was reading. And now it, the older I get, the more it's easier to buy stuff. So again, I really like, I know there's Zara, I know it's fast fashion, but um, the fact that where these trousers come up, it's been very hard for me to find trousers like this. It might just be I'm not looking in the right places or not spending the time that I need to spend to find them or alter them, as you've just said. Mm. Um, that's one of the challenges for me. I mean, how often do you wear these trousers? Uh, loads exactly and i actually i've bought them in different colors <laughs> and they they're almost the trousers that i exclusively wear yeah almost so i wear them a lot i don't see what's wrong with that yeah yeah for me i always say it's a, it's about sustainable buy not sustainable brand so few brands actually tick all the boxes that we can universally agree makes them sustainable and on top of that most brands don't actually understand their own supply chains so they can make all these claims that they want to but they will never really be you know quote unquote perfect and yes it is about the journey but I think that's a very tricky thing to navigate especially when a lot of brands that don't have a sustainable mindset when they were created now have to retrospectively go back and like kind of undo the damage so you know at the end of the day I always say sustainable buyers of sustainable brands and figuring out your shopping goal your sustainability goal will help you align your values to what you're purchasing. For example, the trousers are 
likely polyester. Have you checked? Probably, I haven't. Where would they be? Where would the Don't worry, be? no, I think you'll probably have to check your trousers off <laughs> to <on>. find out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna, what I wanna do is, bear with me. We can find out the blazer. Yeah, we can find out. Mm, it's on the other side. It was Dorothy Perkins. What a, what a surprise. It's been a long time since I've been in there. Uh, the, it's on the side. Yeah, the little. Right. So, I mean, similar similar material or not? I don't know. Um, I don't know. What I'm I'd have to touch it, but it's a different finish as well because this one has oh, a yeah, slight yeah, sheen yeah. to it. But I wear I this I wear this blazer quite a lot. Yeah. I would say so. A similar premise to the trousers. I bought it to repeatedly wear. Yeah. Um, and to, for you, that is a sustainable buy because you're not going to need to replace it. For me, it's not about um, like necessarily rating brands because I don't think that that's productive and I think it takes away from the wider point I think it's more about understanding what your needs are and whether or not you feel empowered by the clothes that you wear and if you can honestly say yes I do then good for you do you know what I mean and I, I think very few people actually can I think very few people would also be able to say off the bat oh these trousers are 100% wool or you know or this shirt is like 45% viscose and the rest is like I don't know silk and I think what's amazing is that people are starting to look at the care labels of their clothing and they are able to quote this. Um, and I think that that's so radical because the more that we understand what we're wearing, not just how it looks, but like what we're wearing, the more we're going to be able to hold brands accountable. And I always feel like you have so much more power when you are participating in the fashion industry. Um, so I never say, oh, boycott brands or like, oh, don't take a job in fashion because it's all corrupt or whatever. I'm always like, no, live your life. <laughs> but like, you know, let's just be mindful about what we're doing so that we can actually take our power back. Let's get into the content you make and right. the platforms that you're on. Mm -hmm. What are your main platforms and what does the average week in a life of your content look like? So I would say um, TikTok and Instagram. Um, TikTok is probably my biggest platform, but Instagram, interestingly, is now the fastest growing one. Um, I have been completely consumed by writing my book. <laughs> I'm sure you know what that's like. Yeah. I remember watching a TikTok where you said you had like three months to write it. I was like, oh, wait, that's me too. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. So that that's basically been my entire year up until I would say a week or so ago where I submitted it. But usually I would post, like in the previous year, I would post twice a day in the evenings. That's quite a lot. It, yeah, especially because my videos are, oh, actually you have really long videos too. And they're very well thought out. So. <laughs> my really long videos that are roughly one minute long. That's <laughs> quite long for TikTok. <laughs> so interesting that you say this because recently I've been pushing a minute 15, mm. minute 20, even did one that was two minutes 15. It's wild. <gasps> <laughs> wild. Um, it went viral. Mm. The others went viral. Some of them don't. Mm. But um, that is fascinating to hear. I've always done a minute and uh, 30 seconds. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. All That's my videos really have always been over 60 seconds. Yeah. And so. Is it just because of your book and the writing process that you've diminished the two videos a day or? Yeah, there was just no way it was manageable and I was just gonna get burnt out. 
Um, so for me, it was just like, let me just finish this book, which is going to contain so many things that people have asked for. And if I can concentrate on this and I can guarantee it's going to come out at the time that my publishers have told people it's going to come out, <laughs> then I can get back to at least one video, at least one video a day. Um, but it was kind of, I felt kind of um, almost sad not posting so much because I missed my community. And, you know, when you see the same people comment and everything, it's just like hearing from a friend sometimes. So, yeah, I'm happy to be back. What are some of your best hits? I actually really love this one video I did where it started off as a review, but I actually hid a giveaway in it. And it wasn't affiliated with any brands. It was just things that I had like collected from gifting. And I only have one face. <laughs> I only have one body. Like, what am I going to do with all this product that I also don't ask for? So um, I'd collected all of this really lovely stuff. And I had asked my audience, what is the kindest thing you've done for someone or the kindest thing that someone has done for you? I think it got over 600 uh, comments and people were like replying to each other and um, they were saying, oh my God, I'm crying. Like these comments are so lovely. And I think it was about creating a safe space on my platform for people to promote like empathy, like love. And I think with TikTok and viral videos, sometimes you almost forget that uh, like people commenting are human or that I'm human. Like we forget that <laughs> we all have feelings. Um, so... I really, really loved that video, even though it didn't go like quote unquote viral, even though that didn't get me loads of followers. Like it wasn't about that. It was about proving that my platform could be a safe space for people. That's so wholesome. <laughs> no, Sorry. I don't I don't mean that in a in any way other than very genuine. Like okay. it's really powerful to be able and it takes a lot of craft to be able to make something like that. People think it's really easy to just kind of get people to comment a certain thing or generate a certain feeling. Um, and you just said, I mean, it's very easy to to sort of spark more negative or hateful engagement on mm. these platforms. Mm. Have, you, have you ever suffered that? <laughs> there was a video where I um, spoke about whether or not Soho House was worth getting membership for. <gasps> And I literally, well, I mean, I am a member. There's that. Um, <laughs> they're they're going to kick me out after this. <laughs> I'm joking. And um, I think I basically, I, I don't talk about anything that's not on the website or like any of the rules that already exist. And I think I got the most like savage comments where people like, no, that's not true. You can talk to celebrities. I talk to celebrities all the time at Soho House. And I was like, oh, I don't think I'm allowed to do that, babe. And they were like, you're lying. There were so many. And they were the ones breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but they were saying that I was lying by saying you're not really allowed to like network. You can't like go up to someone and just be like, oh, I've seen you on TV. Um, the content that you make, it's just you. Do you have any kind of team? And how, if you monetize your content, how do you do it? So yeah, it's just me. It's mainly going into stores and reviewing re recent collections. I don't discriminate between fast fashion, high street, luxury. They all get the same treatment. Um, I think the ones that go viral happen to be fast fashion. Interesting. Probably because more people are, like normal yeah. people are buying stuff from them. They recognize the name yeah. or they want to see it in real life because they usually just shop online and they want to see what it looks like. There was one in particular that did quite well because this brand was trending. It had like a viral runway moment. Everyone was talking about it and I was so excited to see it and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to review them. This is so exciting. 
and it was just really terrible quality and that one I think did really well because everyone recognized the name so it's very much about um, showing people what they might not be able to see in real life um, but they have heard loads about it and wait um so do you mean that those videos are monetized um no. do you get anything from no no so how do you monetize your content at all yes um I do it's interesting because um it's quite hard to do my usual format so it's quite obvious if something is an ad I monetize it when I am approached by brand partners people like eBay um coach has done a lot of work to do better basically and I'm all about people doing better so those are two brand partners I've had all birds last year selfridges rental and they just reach out to you right yeah yeah because I think a lot of people don't realize how these partnerships actually happen but it is like an email that's really true because when I was getting my finger bandaged up um, the nurse, oh, she was lovely. I love, I love nurses. She was lovely. She was like, what do you do? And I was about to faint. So I was just like, TikTok. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I don't want to look at my finger. Um, and then she's like, how do you make money? So I was like, oh, okay. Well, this is what happens. Like, you know, brand approaches you. Da, da, da. But I'm really proud of the ads that I do. I genuinely am. And so I never like try and hide it or anything. I'm really proud of the work that I do. I don't ever say an entire brand is acceptable to buy from. I just don't. There are very few brands that I've openly said, yeah, I'm just like, I fully love this. And I can say again, it's with nothing underneath. I think they're great. They do only shirts. And that's why I can vouch for it because it's a one category, like it's a one item uh, brand. So they can be consistent. ELV denim, zero waste. Um, I've been to where they make their clothes. So I can say that. Uh, and also attire the studio which is um, actually an influencer brand but they are extremely transparent not just about pricing but about everything being biodegradable up until like interfacing and shoulder pads not being polyester so those are three brands I've openly said yeah like unless something changes tomorrow I'm really quite impressed by everything that they do do you think there's a grand misconception around specifically like the fashion influencing or content creation space that you'd like to use this platform off platform (laughs) to debunk gosh there's so much really there really is so much I think maybe I might have to take it back a little bit more personally so the whole reason I came off the mindful Monday method is because I was coming out of a very dark place with being a conventional fashion influencer and I think that people get very caught up in the glamour of it all it's quite similar to when you were talking about how you grew up in the Paris Hilton age Mm. and like all this stuff I think we're similar age you know that was a really toxic time and everyone wanted to be a model and you know a lot of my peers had eating disorders and I suffered from that too and grew up with that yeah I mean our mums would eat special k for breakfast lunch and dinner and I would I would be fed that so I thought that was completely normal as a meal yeah (laughs) so back then you know the media was talking about how oh trying to be a model was really affecting the mental health of young women and I think that trying to be an influencer is now replacing that aspiration Um, and I think that it can be such an amazing opportunity for so many people fashion is so elitist you know and being an entrepreneur as a woman is so much harder but there's a dark side to it. And I think that people are so quick to judge and demonize women who 
are just trying to create an opportunity for themselves. Um, and yes, it does bring out a toxic side to people. Yes, it does. I won't lie. I really disliked myself. But also, it, it, it's such a judgmental space from people looking in. And I remember that when I was a typical fashion influencer, but even now, I don't like saying that because I just don't want to deal with the with the judgment of it all. So how do you self-identify? Well, I've always seen myself as a writer. That's always been my aspiration. So I just say I'm a fashion writer. Um, but, you know, if I'm about to faint and my finger's bleeding out, I will just say TikTok. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's so interesting. But you say, so you were doing fashion influencing before. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming when you phrase it like that, was more generic or it, it was just it wasn't thematic mm -hmm. how did you get into what you did before before the sustainability I really really wanted to work for a magazine ah okay and I wanted to prove that I was interested in it so all of these like pictures I would post would actually be quite like editorial like I would shoot I would you know go to PR showrooms loan the clothing like on a minuscule scale of what a fashion magazine would do I would uh, liaise with hotels I would shoot in suites like I'd have a professional photographer it was all like quite editorial and I never really did like a lot of fast fashion or even if I did wear fast fashion I wasn't like tagging it and I got into it because I always saw it as a stepping stone to like an, a career in like fashion editorial and I actually did briefly work at like a very cool magazine in 2019 when I was trying to get out of the whole influencing thing I said I set up a consultancy because I was like I have all of these skills but I don't want to be an influencer anymore I can help brands um create white label content so I was doing that for a while I was working freelance at a magazine for a while so I was trying all of these different things to just like escape essentially and it's funny because I've come full circle when I actually started doing the mindful monday stuff full-time it was 2022 2022 and uh, Grazia put me on their like TikTok power list and I started getting off this press. I got um, a DM from my editor who at where and she was like, I'd love for you to be a contributor. And I was just like, whoa, I was so shocked. And I actually really sat down and I asked myself, Andrew, if you're gonna, <laughs> third person, <laughs> Andrew, if you're gonna do this influencing thing again, if you're gonna be a creator full time again, you're gonna walk straight back into the lion's den. Like, you need to make sure you don't fall into the same trap. You cannot surround yourself with toxic people that just fluff your ego and just want to like make money off you. You cannot take jobs because you want like the money or the gifting. You have to be so careful. I really like sat there and I thought about it really hard. I would say for probably a month. Like, is this what you really want to do? Are you emotionally and spiritually strong enough to do this? And um, even now... I can't say the brand names because I had to sign an NDA, but there are so many huge brands that I've turned down. And I'll say to my agent, I don't even wanna know how much money they're offering because I actually just don't care. And I'll be on phone calls with their innovation team or their marketing team or whatever. And they'll be trying to convince me that I should do this campaign. And I'll just, and I'll just come off the phone being like, no, that felt wrong. I actually felt sick. I feel really wrong about this, but then I'll see, a sustainability activist or sustainability influencer take on that campaign for me it's like I'm not here to judge them they must have their own reasons that's fine I'm just I'm still happy that I didn't do it but then you know from I think an audience point of view they'll never know these conversations go on behind the scenes mm. every single campaign that I take I literally have phone calls with my agent about it I have phone calls with their team about it I will literally say you're known for xyz how are you addressing this um, but it's not what um, audiences see, but it's just for me to know 
that I can sleep at night and I don't ever want to be the person I was a few years ago. I relate a little bit to the being a slave to something that you don't want to be. Um, and I, I feel this sort of more in the context of, I know how to game an algorithm. Mm. I know I, there I could be making a certain kind of content relentlessly. And right now I would have way more followers. Yeah, I would have way more engagement. Some of that engagement would be hateful or negative yes. as well as positive. Ultimately, um, who's gonna who's ever gonna be my biggest champion and the biggest carer of my mental health me yeah 100%. no one other than me really can prioritize that and if I were to make especially in the sort of stuff I've historically done where I could be making loads of really clickbait news video mm -hmm. um it would make me really unhappy because of these effects that I just described yeah um, it equally, is, it wouldn't be bringing the value to me that I want or the yeah. value that I want to bring an audience. Like I want to I want to make content that, yeah, might not always go really viral, but it's content I'm proud of and may have a bit of a longer lifespan because I've not rushed into stories like this. I see news accounts all the time do this method where it's just clickbait, clickbait, clickbait the whole time, parroting the model of digital like media publishing that's existed in websites for a really long time. It's not new. It's not like a TikTok thing or a Reels thing. This has been going on for ages. But I know if I if I went down that path, um, hearing stories like yours, I think, wow, yeah, I might get to a dark space. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And if it costs me engagement and followers, don't oh, care because it's yeah. not cost me my mental health. There was a point where I knew what I had to post if I wanted to go viral and people were requesting reviews of certain brands that maybe were owned by celebrities or owned by influencers and I just knew that this is this was going to get tons of views but I just refused to do it because I think it's quite obvious that that brand is it's not sustainable I think it's quite obvious and um, if you watch my videos I think you'd also glean that too and I actually refused to post something because I think it's going to go viral because I don't believe in just adding to the noise. For me, it's about long-term credibility. For the people that are really affected in their in their shopping habits have genuinely changed because of the Mindful Monday method, I wanna stay true to them. This is not to get, I don't need more. I have a great platform. I love my community. I'm so proud of what we have collectively built, you know? It's not just me influencing, you know, a couple hundred thousand people. It's them telling their friends and their families and that's what's gonna stick because their friends and families are gonna see them shop better and save money and feel so much more empowered in their in their choices. I'm just like someone behind a screen. You know, it's it's about them. And I was like, I'm not gonna make them feel negative or make them feel a certain way just so I can get more followers that haven't followed me for the reasons that I even started posting, if that makes sense. So yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying and I will actively not post to avoid that. In 10 years time, yes. you might still be prioritizing TikTok and Instagram, or it might be some new fangled platform that's on the scene. And you're gonna look back at the videos that you're making now. Mm -hmm. What is the lasting impact that you want this content to make? I think all I really want from this is for people to feel like they don't have to impulse buy anymore which is literally giving shoppers their power back. And I think that that is like my only goal. Um, and that's, I, I think, at the crux of all of it, that we don't that we don't put clothing on a pedestal. You know, 
fashion can be so beautiful, it's a form of art, but at the end of the day, everything that's beautiful is supposed to serve us, not the other way around. I think we've idolized fashion for far too long. And, um, you know, me opening, like, opening the lid, is that the, is that the job? Opening the lid on what the fashion industry is really like, how things work, is so that if people have the knowledge, they're gonna, it's gonna be demystified. They're not gonna think of it as so special anymore, you know? That's it, uh, yeah, that's all I want my videos to have in terms of legacy, if you will. You can follow Andrea all over social media, and if you want even more from her, make sure you buy her new book, Why Don't I Have Anything to Wear? For more episodes of Off Platform, make sure you're following me, Sophia Smith-Gayla, on any social media platform. And remember that these episodes are available to watch as well as listen to on YouTube. I developed these episodes while I was a fellow at Brown University as part of a resource I made to help improve online media literacy in the UK for young people. If you're interested in talks or lesson plans full of information like this on content creation, head to my website, www.sophiasmithgayla.com. Thank you for listening and I'll be back next week.